0: Welcome to Renewed by the Word with Pastor Edwin from Redeemer Church, Miami. We are glad you can join us today. Please grab your Bibles as we walk through the Word of God together this morning. Well, good morning, church, and it's good to have you with us here today. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here with us and for those who are watching us online uh, thank you for being with us and happy Father's Day for, for you as well. Our scripture lesson for this morning is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses that we'll read from 1 to 22. It sounds like a lot, but it'll read rather quickly. It's a very, uh, very powerful scene and a moment. So if you could just stand with me. I know we were just standing for worship. If you could stand with me uh, once again um, and, uh, and let's look into God's word. Beginning in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Word of God. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were so speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And as the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men, by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a good father over us. Thank you that you provide and you care, you sustain and you protect us as your people, as your children. And now Lord, as we celebrate our fathers, our grandfathers, our uncles, stepdads, we thank you that we could always look to you for the example, for the standard of what it means to be not only a father, but a man. And so Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that these words will fall afresh on us, that we would truly hear your voice, That we would step into this passage and allow it to become alive in our lives in our hearts in our sight that we would be participants in it not passively but actively and so lord here we are speak to us this morning may your spirit fill this place may it move here touch minds touch hearts refresh souls we pray all these things in the very powerful and precious name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen amen thank you church may be seated Well, once again, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And, um, you know, sometimes whenever Father's Day weekend rolls around, um, this tends to happen. I was on my way out of the office on Friday. I'm driving home. I turned on the sports radio for a second. I love to kind of hear what they're saying about uh, teams all over the country and what's going on with the playoffs and whatnot. And they were having a Father's Day discussion. And the discussion basically centered around, you know, what were dads going to do today? And in their eyes, in these sports people's eyes, and these personalities on the radio, uh, their main thing was, you know, what was the barbecue going to be like? And was dad going to get to take a nap? And that to me is frustrating, that our society has limited and shrunk down the role of a man to a hamburger and to a nap. And so what I say to you all today that are here with me and those who are watching online, To the men, specifically. As you celebrate Father's Day and as you kind of relish with your family and enjoy your kids and grandkids, um, make sure that as a Christian man, uh, you stand for something more than a hamburger and a nap. Because that's what our society wants to reduce men to. So don't fall into that trap. This is not a Father's Day message. This is actually a, a message within the series. I just wanted to throw out that comment. But you're going to see some things that are characteristic of what we as all Christians should do in the text, but especially encouraging for men as well to be the, one, the ones like Peter and John who stand for certain things in our culture. And we'll kind of navigate through that very quickly. Uh, this sermon is part of our Your Turn series. Uh, Let me just refresh our memories, bring us all back to the same page because we've had Memorial Day, we did graduation Sunday, and so let's just kind of all get back to the same page. Our Next Step series showed us what Jesus had done. We walked with Jesus through his ministry all the way to the cross. And then our next, our our series after that was the Ready, Set series. And basically when Jesus shows up to his disciples after his resurrection, he has some specific things to say. He has some specific things to teach. He wants to anchor down what they saw him do into their own lives and their own hearts. And then we took the step at Pentecost Sunday that now it's your turn. Jesus is not here, at least physically anymore with the disciples. He sends the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. They are filled, they are indwelt, and now, from what they saw Jesus do and from their one-on-one encounters, they realize that they have something to say. They realize that it's more to just, well, you know, I saw Jesus do this. It's more of a, I saw Jesus do this. This has happened in my life. Now I give it to you. And so that's why this series is entitled Your Turn, as in now it's your turn to take the steps that Peter and John took to stand for Jesus in an age and in a moment in our country where we desperately need Jesus more than ever before some of the chaos, some of the violence, a lot of it, a lot of it would be quelled and helped by the name of Jesus being spoken, and we'll kind of dabble in and out of that uh, this morning. So here's, let's start this morning then. We'll, the first, we'll talk about the resistance. So I think we have a picture to show you. Um, <clears throat> last week, uh, even though it was graduation Sunday, we talked about the healing of the lame man. There was a beautiful, massive gate, 75 foot tall doors, Uh, layered in Corinthian bronze, and there at at one of the corners of the temple, there was a lame man that was always brought to the same gate every single day for 40 years. You saw his age revealed to you here in this particular text. So imagine, and I know that everyone here lives in different parts of the city, there's always that one individual who is standing at at the, the intersection close to your house. You see that homeless person every single time you pass by there, or you put some gas in the car, or you go to the market, and it's kind of like their corner, it's kind of like their little space. Everyone kind of knows them and recognizes their face and helps them out. Well, same thing with this guy. For 40 years he's been brought since he was a boy to beg at this particular gate because he's lame. He can't walk. And so Peter and John are on their way to worship, and this this picture you see behind me is kind of an artist's painting of what it would have looked like when you walked in through those gates. You would have been in basically the court of the Gentiles heading into the court of the women. Remember, a square within a square within a square within a square was the temple. And so you're on the outer edge and the court of the Gentiles is where there was a lot of traffic, a lot of people coming and going. Then there would have been a small little wall gate, women, small little wall gate, men, and then the priests. And then you can see the the larger structure behind that in the painting there is kind of the Holy of Holies where the sacrifices were were done and the, the presence of God was said to be dwell in the back room of that particular building. So the miracle takes place in a place like this, where these two long hallways kind of meet at a corner in the temple. And there was just a massive crowd. And so Peter and John are on their way to pray, which is what we preached about last week. They're on their way in. This man identifies them out in the crowd kind of looks at them hoping that they'll have some silver, gold, some bread, some food. And he starts to kind of ask them directly, do you have anything to give? And so Peter and John approach the man and when they see him face to face, Peter says, you know, look at me. So you can kind of imagine Peter kneeling down to where this man is laying down and looking him right in the eye, coming up nose to nose with this man. And he tells him one of the most beautiful, powerful phrases in all of Scripture. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk and he takes them by the right hand as Jesus had always taken people by the right hand, lifts them up and the man starts to praise God and jump up and down, his legs are working, uh, his ankles are strong, uh, the scripture says. And all of a sudden, as you can imagine, if someone was jumping up and down in that scene that you see here behind me, for those of you at home, you're probably seeing it right here next to me. If you start jumping up and down and you start yelling and screaming, it's gonna echo when people come over and Peter preaches to the people. What we catch here in this text is the tail end of the preaching. Peter is interrupted because the Sadducees, which were kind of the political, they were, they're not really religious. <clears throat> they're associated with the religious parties, but they're more political than anything else. They wanted a nice place with Rome. They didn't want to upset the order. They were a minority that had a lot of influence. And we'll talk about that more in a second. Along with the captain of the temple, which is basically the security guard, they come running over to see what on earth is going on. There's a guy screaming and yelling. There's somebody who's speaking. There's a massive crowd there. And they kind of put a halt on the whole thing. Let's apply. Whenever you start to talk about Jesus, and this probably happened to some of you maybe, in your offices, amongst your friends, maybe even amongst your family, there is resistance right away. People do not want to hear it. They do not want to know about Jesus. Why? Why does the name of Jesus, why does Christianity bother people so much? You can argue about a lot of things, but we can, we'll just say one thing this morning which kind of brings us into these leaders who kind of confront Peter and John. Accountability. You realize when you follow Christ, you realize when you speak of Jesus, when you preach the Word of God, that you are accountable to somebody and we do not like that as human beings. We like to be free to do what we want, to say what we want, to live how we want, but then we keep running into the Bible and that little book just keeps bothering us and gnawing at us because it keeps telling us that there's certain things that God likes and there are certain things that He doesn't like, but it so goes against our desire to be free and say and do whatever we want, thinking that we're free when in essence we really are accountable to God. All our actions, all of our words, all of our deeds, all of our opinions, all of our thoughts are before the Lord at all times. We are an open book to Him. There is nothing to hide. And so when we start to speak that name, there are going to be people like the temple guard and like the Sadducees, let's put that in quotes, who are going to come into your life and resist you. And they're going to say, don't speak about Jesus anymore. We don't talk about that here. Let's leave that conversation for another day. Well, you know, you have your opinion. I have mine. Well, you have your point of view. I have mine. We're going to talk about that more in just one second. But nonetheless, be prepared for the resistance. Be prepared For people who will push back and they won't want to hear. And sometimes it's not so much that they have hard hearts. It's not so much that maybe they had a bad experience in church. It's that they simply do not want to be accountable. Which brings us to the Sadducees. You see, here's this group of of people. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, elders, teachers of the law. Together, when you put these guys together, they make up the Sanhedrin. In other words, the Supreme Court of the Jews. They're the ones that ran the country. Rome is running the country, but they're kind of micromanaging. They're, they're on a day-to-day basis. They're the ones who decide things for the country. But yet here you have this group that comes against Peter because they really cozied up to Rome. They were a chameleon. Where it was in power, they kind of cozied up to that person. Whatever they said, you know, they did. And then even though they were in charge of the temple, most of the priests were Sadducees. Listen to this. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. They did not not believe in demons or the supernatural. And those are the priests who are running the temple. Can you see now why Israel is lost? Why she can't recognize Jesus even though she's walking through, he's walking down their, their paths and their streets. It's because the men who were in charge of worship, the men who were in charge of bringing Israel to God were the ones who did not believe in more than half the Bible. And when you ask yourself, how did our country arrive at this point Let's just point the, ping, let's point the finger at us. Society can do what it wants to do. There's going to be trends. There's going to be uh, important people who influence and say things and do things. But in the end, we've had way too many pastors who accommodated themselves, just like the Sadducees, who accommodated themselves to culture, who preached a comfortable message, who preached a message that kind of fit in, who didn't want to stir things up, who didn't want to shake people or ruffle their feathers. And now we have arrived where we have because of those men and women, in some cases in some churches, because they wanted to keep the status quo. Now let's talk about our country for two seconds, because this allows us to speak into the moment, what we're in. And I don't think, I, I don't think there will be much of an argument. I think you would agree with me. There is a very small minority in our nation that is jumping up and down and making a lot of noise who wants to tell the majority what to do. Just like the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a small little group. They didn't believe in much, but the Pharisees were kind of the religious fanatics. The elders were just important families. The scribes were the ones who were staring at the law, copying it the whole time. And then you had these guys over here, and they were the smallest ones of these four groups that made of the Sanhedrin, but they were the ones that shouted the loudest. And so what I say to you today is this church, it doesn't matter what somebody shouts, and it doesn't matter what someone keeps posting on Facebook or on Instagram. The truth of Christ is the truth. We're gonna talk about that more in just one second. It is the truth, it is what it is. If you wanna disagree with it, that's fine. But in the, in the end, the one who is right is God. And the one who is right is God's word. And he is the one He is the one who will, who will decide and determine and so we cannot allow as Christians, as people, a small little minority to dictate terms for the rest of our country, for the rest of us, because part of, part of their agenda, if we can use that word, is to silence the name of Jesus, to destroy families, to lead us astray. And so as individuals, as Christians, we must stand and push back against that. And now these people, for the first time were realizing that not only were there 3,000 people who, who Peter, in his first sermon, had brought into the church, but 3,000 people with wives and with kids was already 5 or 6,000, and now they're counting just 5,000 men. And if you add the moms and if you add the kids, you have a church on your hands of 10, 12, 13, 14,000 people, and that is something to be respected. We need to regain the church's voice in our nation, church, but it's gonna be costly because we've given up a lot of ground over the years. So to take back every single inch and every single foot that we've surrendered is going to be costly, but we must be prepared to pay the price, just like Peter and John were prepared to pay the price that day. Our second point, the name. I love verse 7. It says, they had Peter and John brought before them. They put them in jail, hoping that that would kind of scare them a little bit. So they brought them out the next morning. The, The lame guy who walks now is next to them. He spent the night in jail with them too. No good deed goes unpunished, as they say. It says, and began to question them. By what power or by what name did you do this? Trick question. Because in Deuteronomy 13, any other name except the name of Yahweh gets you killed. So when they're saying this to them, they're hoping to kind of catch them. Now just for a second, I want you just for a second to put yourself in the shoes of Peter and John. Just for two seconds. I'm the lame guy who's standing here next to them, probably hiding behind them at this point. You have the high priest in front of you. This is the man who runs the religious life of the country. He's sitting right in the center. His father-in-law is right next to them. He's kind of the power behind the throne, kind of a sopranos kind of a thing going on here. Okay, so they're both together right here. Then you have some of the elders here, on a, and they always sat in a U-shape, in, in, in several U-shapes. You have some of the elders, which were the important families in Israel. Bam, 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 bam. Then you had the Pharisees who were mostly the scribes, the teachers of the law, another U. And then you had the Sadducees. So here you have, Two fishermen, two fishermen standing before the most powerful, the wealthiest, the smartest individuals that their society had to present. And let me just remind you, even though it's been a couple of months now, that those U-shaped, those people sitting in these U-shaped kind of half circles are the same group that killed Jesus Christ. That's who they are facing. That's who they are coming up against. And here is Peter, and he is speaking out against them. And he sits and he says, because you killed them, this man is pointing a finger at the most powerful people in the nation, a church. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you're afraid of? What are you afraid of in sharing your faith? Are you afraid you're gonna lose a couple of friends? Would you rather lose a friend or two, or would you rather lose eternity? Because Jesus is very clear. If you speak of me before men, I will speak your name before the Father. So, if you want Jesus to be your lawyer on the day of judgment, to speak on your behalf before the Father, who is judge, who determines, then speak up for Jesus now. This is not just a very quick get into heaven kind of slide in kind of thing. If you confess Him, He will confess you. So, I ask you again what is it that you're afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of losing? Are you really afraid that a couple of people are going to drop you from Facebook? Are you going to die? Are you going to faint? Are you going to have to rush you to the hospital? Is that what you're worried about? Are you worried that someone's going to like, you know, block you on their Instagram? So you won't see pictures? Is that what you're afraid of? Are you afraid of that somebody at work is just not going to share coffee with you anymore? Is that what you're afraid of? Search yourself, search your heart. Search your mind and ask yourself, what is it that keeps me from sharing and standing up for Jesus wherever I am? What is it? What is it? Because that means that you're putting Jesus on a scale and you're saying, well, this individual or this person or this situation greater than Jesus, heavier, larger, and I can't risk it. Think about what you're doing. The fact that you would put Jesus on any scale is madness. So I ask you again, what are you afraid of? Here you have two fishermen filled with the Spirit standing before the most powerful, the wealthiest, the biggest influenced people in their society, and they spoke out. They were ready to die if they had to. They spent the night in jail for speaking the name of Jesus. I don't think anybody here has spent the night in jail for speaking the name of Jesus. So I ask you again, what is it that you're afraid of? What is holding us back? And I want you to notice something. When you start to speak the name of Jesus, when you start to share your faith with someone, notice how the tables are turned. Peter, fisherman, standing before this incredible body of people, there was 71 of them. The Sanhedrin always had 71 people. It's kind of a number that they determined. 71 of them, and Peter and John standing there, facing these individuals, these angry faces, not wearing masks, looking at them. Okay? And they stand there before them. And guess who has the power in the conversation? Peter does. He says, you killed them. He's pointing a finger at the 71 of them. Did they do anything to him? No, they could not respond. They had nothing to, to accuse them of. Listen, no one is asking you to be perfect. But all that I always encourage you to do is have Jesus intentions for people. Have Jesus words for people. Speak the scriptures and people will automatically give you respect and give you space to operate. It's when you give ground and you use the scale that when you're going to speak about Jesus, people are like, hey, but what happened to you? And now you can't talk anymore. You've lost the moment. You've lost the leverage. You've lost the opportunity. They spoke the name of Jesus last week during graduation Sunday. We still preach a shorter sermon on this. We talked about how when Peter says, I give you the name of Jesus that this man walked when you uttered the name of someone in in that society. And church, it is still true today. The power, the presence, the person is there. And you might say to yourself, well, pastor, isn't that cultural lingo, cultural stuff from the past? No, not when it comes to Jesus. Not when it comes to Jesus. Listen, church, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, when he was translating the scriptures, they hit him off in a castle because the Catholic church was trying to kill him. So he's hiding in a castle, and you can still go see the room to this day. And there are still ink marks on the wall. Why? Because what he was translating, he said that the devil was just nagging him and bothering him. So he would take his little, his little uh, uh, glass jar of ink where he would dip his feather in, right? Dip his little pen in. At that point, the pens are starting up already. And he would take his glass jar and he would throw it at him. And he was saying, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And he finished translating the entire scriptures. Because he used the name of Jesus. Because at the name of Jesus, the devil cannot interfere. At the name of Jesus, the devil must run. At the name of Jesus, his presence, his power shows up. And all of a sudden, you realize that it's not you. It's not so much that they're giving you respect or giving you a chance. It's that the presence of the power of Jesus has now been introduced. And people will always respond to that. It will create space. Call on the name of Jesus, church and watch things begin to change and watch people begin to listen. Thank you for joining us today on Renewed by the Word. Our desire and hope is that your time in the Word with Pastor Edwin will continue God's renewal in your entire person and life. For more information about Redeemer Church Miami and Pastor Edwin, visit their website, RedeemerChurchMiami.org. That's RedeemerChurchMiami.org. May God bless you richly, and we look forward to being with you next week.